is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and hello, my friends. I'm so glad you've tuned in to America Can We Talk. And for my first five tonight, I want to talk to you about this is an issue that rises to the level of house on fire. You know, some issues you can have tax policy, you can change it, you can adjust every two years. But some issues matter so much, it's like the house is on fire. And so at the dinner table, you need to stop talking about whether Timmy made his bed. Susie did her homework because right now the house is on fire. And this is the, the issue relating to the repeal of Obamacare. And I want to talk about where we stand in this because here we sit in July of 2017 with a Republican White House, Senate, and House, and we are in a serious problem. The GOP, in my view, is in the process of destroying their majority lead because they, if anything they ran on, was the promise to repeal Obamacare. And you can learn a lot about what people think, what parties stand for, and what people are really like when you look at their behavior related to Obamacare. What do you think the Democrats, what do you recall the Democrats saying what they wanted the the health care law to do in Washington? They basically always said, we want health care to be affordable. We want to have people, more people covered by health insurance. So Ted Cruz comes along with his consumer freedom amendment saying if insurance companies sell policies that comply with Obamacare, they could also sell policies that people want. We've talked about in this show the last couple of weeks. But what's so interesting is this past week, HHS, Health and Human Services, did a study and came out with the conclusion that Ted Cruz's amendment would both decrease premiums and increase the, the number of people who have health insurance. Exactly the two things the Democrats said they want. So the Democrats are flooding in to support Ted Cruz's amendment. No, actually, they're not. They are against it because what the Democrats want wholeheartedly is absolute federal control of the health care system, period, full stop. That's what they want. No amendment that a Republican proposes would ever be good enough. But I have a solution. There have been a couple great solutions that have come up this last week. It is time to force the elected Republicans in the House and the Senate to force a vote on the floor and let them go on record either opposing or supporting the effort to repeal and let them go home to their voters then with whatever is left of the August recess and explain their votes. On the House side, the actual conservative leaders in the House Freedom Caucus are are trying to bring a bill to the floor of the House to say full repeal. Just get a vote, up or down. Let every Republican who won't cooperate go home and explain why. In the Senate... It is time to have a vote on the House bill. The uh, Speaker, Majority Speaker, Leader, Mitch McConnell, has been trying to get Republicans on board, trying to work with them, come up with some bill, some revision of the House bill, and the senators cannot agree. So Mitch McConnell can decide to call a vote on the actual version of the Obamacare repeal that came from the House. Force that vote up or down. Let those people who won't go along with it go home and explain to their voters. And the same thing is true in the Senate. He could put on the floor of the Senate, we're going to vote for a full repeal, up or down. Because I'm telling you, these clowns like Lisa Murkowski from Alaska and Rob Portman from Ohio and uh, Nevada's Dean Heller, people like that who are nitpicking, saying, well, I can't support this unless I get, I need to, I need to drag more money. I need to, I'm getting, a, I want a Medicaid payoff for my people. I won't do it without, without this, without that. Force them to vote. Because I really think they're not going to like going back to voters and saying, I had a chance to do something and I stood for nothing. 
And the reason this matters so much, the reason I say it's a house on fire issue, is if we don't win this, if we end up having a Democrat president in 2020 and a Democrat majority in the House and Senate or any time during the next four years, we will have single-payer socialized medicine. And if you thought that Obamacare was hard to get rid of, if you thought that that was just a bit of a battle, if we get single-payer socialized medicine, it will be a nightmare to ever, ever repeal. And I want to point out something else that the Democrats have succeeded in doing with Obamacare in the last seven-plus yes, years. They have succeeded in inflicting upon the American people an enhanced sense of weakness and helpless dependency where people around America Look at their health care concerns. They don't even think about trying to find a health insurance policy that might meet my needs. They think the government has to fix it. And this is a core desire of the Democrat Party to make more and more Americans feel like they're helplessly dependent unless the government bails them out. Consistent with that, the Democrats have also succeeded in eviscerating the insurance industry in this country, where insurance companies are more intertwined with Congress, waiting to find out what Congress wants them to do, than they are intertwined with the American people and wanting to find out what the American people want them to do. Ted Cruz's amendment goes right to the heart of that and says, look, we insurance companies, we could write an amendment uh, that would allow insurance companies to offer bills that they, that policies that they want. We could have American people going to insurance companies saying, why can't I have a policy that does this but not that? Why can't I have a carve out? Why can't I have this or that? Let the insurance companies re-embrace re-embrace the idea of free markets, of being an industry that exists to produce a product the American people want. And if they did that, I'm telling you, folks, life would change in America. I urge you strongly to consider writing to your congressman, your senator, and urging them to support the idea that we want to have, absolutely want to have, uh, a robust repeal of Obamacare. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. We come back after the break. I'm going to tell you all a lot about what's going on with Trump and the New York Times interview. Don't go away. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? 
We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I love doing this show. I love being in the studio. I appreciate Greg Lindemood, our board operator. And tonight I have one of the original team from the Second Hour Roundtable, which is now just the roundtable. Jenny McGarry and Dorinda Randall uh, are in studio. Uh, yeah, and if you're watching on Facebook Live, hi, they're here. So Dorinda <laughs> actually moved to Houston without a vote of the team. We she, agree. Yes, she needs to come back. <laughs> yes, we all voted against it, but here she is. So she's back visiting for the weekend. And, you know, I'm also back from traveling a little bit. I was first going to say a, a couple quick things. I want to say thank you to the people I met in Minnesota. I did the uh, show last week from Minneapolis. I met the nicest people both at the studio and actually at a lunch the next day. And I'm aware that some of you folks may be listening on Facebook. So thank you. And also met some folks in Phoenix a few weeks before that who are now tuned into the show. And so I appreciate that. Hope you're all listening. And among the, in all these travels we've had, I've run across people who were talking about the idea that it's just plain as day that the media 
and the uh, Never Trumpers and the Democrats. It's like the, the collusion in this country, if there is any collusion occurring, is the Democrats, the media, the Never Trumpers try as hard as they can to bring down Donald Trump to just actually. And there are people who think that somehow he'll be removed, even though he was duly elected by the people. And I'll talk about a couple of things. You guys can chime in. One was these uh, fundraising numbers came out. And you would think if the media had been successful in just eviscerating Donald Trump, that the numbers would show that Republicans are sick of uh, their party. But the actual numbers, simply mind-blowing, in June, so here we are, July 2017, in June, the RNC, the Republican National Committee, raised $13.5 million as compared with the DNC's $5.5 million. <laughs> That'd be three times as much money raised by Republicans. <laughs> Second one in 2017 so far, the whole year, RNC, I know numbers are hardest, but I'm not going to read them a lot. Don't get upset. Okay, RNC in this year has raised $75.4 million compared to the DNC's $38.2, so slightly, slightly less than twice as much. And I say all this to say this. I think there's exasperation, frustration, and confusion in the media why it is that their endless effort to destroy Donald Trump does not seem to be shaking the faith of the American people uh, who voted for him. And, I mean, if you're livid at Trump, the last thing you're going to do is join the Republican Party. And one thing that when um, I was going to comment about this is, This is a media, just to be clear, a media who spends, I mean, New York Times, Washington Post, day after day after day. Some, you know, Donald Trump had a cousin who visited Russia once when she was five. See, 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 it's corruption. I mean, wherever it goes, they find it. But this is a media who, during eight years of Obama, Obama trafficked guns to Mexican drug lords. He delivered pallets in billions of dollars, B as in boy billions, to Iran's America and honestly, Jew-hating mullahs. We, he left four Americans to die in Benghazi, lied about it, allowed us to... And I'm reading a great article. It's up on our, our uh, website, org, up on our Facebook page. Uh, he allowed his own Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, to exchange government favors for hundreds of millions of dollars slushed in the Clinton Foundation. And also, he just... He sicked his IRS on Americans trying to stand up for what they believe in. So this is a media, and I could go on and on. This article is very lengthy, but this is a media that spent just the entire eight years covering for, excusing, in fact, praising Obama. And now what they're discovering is that they're now they're trying to trash Trump, and the people are saying, what are you talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even more than that, I mean, we can thank Uh, the mainstream media. We can thank them. They've done us a huge favor. They've created an entirely different market of individuals that can bring you the news. They've given us uh, our words and and our beliefs to be out there on Twitter. We're able to go into Facebook and, and let our friends and family know what we're thinking. We have bloggers now that are very successful that people also look into. We have Periscope. The individual now is going to bring you more of the truth than your mainstream media. And you know, the other great thing about going on social media, that was Jenny, but the other great thing about going on social <laughs> media, no, no, that's okay, is that, um, is that you know, you can begin to find people, your views resonate with them. You find, okay, yes. like, yeah, I, I really... You're yeah, not you're alone. Not alone. And, the, and the thing that, that I like about the GOP raising so much money is the fact that 
we know we're not alone now. I mean, <laughs> Disney coming in, it, that is great. And the thing that I blame the the media for is that Barack Obama, if he would have been held accountable for any of those things, just one of those things that were listed, he could have maybe scaled back and decided, I'm not going to be a radical. I'm going to operate this as a, business, as a country, and I am going to adhere to the fact that these things are wrong. But the fact of the matter is, he's not going to go down as the best president. He will no. go down as the most corrupt president. And it's because of the mainstream media not making him accountable for anything. Not doing their job. Yeah. Not, not doing, doing their, their job. job. And yeah. finally, someone's calling him on it. Yeah. And they don't. And like the American it. people are calling him on it. Yeah. They say, you know what? We're, we're done with you. The other really interesting thing, because I just feel like President Trump, who has, you know, not even been in office, I guess it's now six months, been in yes. six months. Right. And he has been the subject of more criminal investigations, criminal accusations, even though Comey said Trump himself wasn't being investigated. We've now launched this guy, Mueller, this FBI, uh, I mean, this Department of Justice special counsel, who is now in a, as they call it in the law, fishing expedition. He is trying to find something that he can nail Trump with. So he's been after Trump. This week it was reported he was going after Manafort, uh, Paul Manafort, a a brief time, briefly affiliated with a Trump administration he's not even or trump campaign not even there looking at manafort's finances looking at talking about maybe looking at trump's finances this guy's on a fishing expedition and i think and i think the democrats and the media keep thinking this is going to be it we're going to find something and that people are going to jump up and say and you know what's happening it's exactly the opposite people are so turned off and on that note we had a we do a weekly email if you don't get it you can email me at america can we talk at gmail.com America can we talk at gmail.com and push on the weekly email list. We invited people to comment what they thought about whether Trump should fire Mueller. And we have one caller who weighed in that I want to play her. One I'm going to play, and here she is. I believe. <laughs> or not. Hi, Debbie. I think um, President Trump should absolutely fire Robert Mueller. Mueller is not qualified to be leading this investigation. He's um, completely in the enemy camp. He's been a Democrat donor his whole life. His whole team is on the Democrat side. And so they're incapable of conducting a fair investigation into any matter concerning President Trump. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so we, I tell you, folks, we love getting comments. We don't take live calls in this show, but you can call anytime during the week. Uh, the number is 214-556-5659. Leave a question or a comment. You have to make them a minute or less. I just want to remind people again. <laughs> these really long ones. And I had a great question. Someone left for Alan West last week or whatever that was, two weeks ago, and I didn't hear it in time. We had a little glitch with our system. But anyway, love getting cars and questions. And what she was saying about Mueller being fired, I'm not sure he should. I'm not, I go back and forth on that, but I love the idea. I think in the eyes of the American people, they don't see this investigation as legitimate. I mean, I mean, the voters, the supporters of Trump, they just feel like it's part of this effort to take this guy down. And another part of that effort, I'm going to chime in to point out is this. We talked, you know, in the first, the first five about getting Obamacare repeal. If you were the Republican leadership in the House or Senate and you understand the depth to which we have committed as a party to repeal Obamacare and you can't move anything along, is kind of like slow walking Trump's agenda. I think complicit, along with the media and the Democrats and the never Trumpers, are a lot of people in Washington sitting back thinking, 
you know, I don't really want to help this guy Trump. And so I'm going to make his life difficult. I'm going to make our, you know, the agenda get get um, slowed down. And honestly, it's going to I don't think it's going to backfire on Trump. Yeah, I think it's going to backfire on them. And and because the people rose up and it was Democrats and Republicans that voted for Trump because they want this thing to be blown up and start all over again just to get some common sense and some sanity involved here. And so I think it is going to hurt the Republicans and some of these Republicans are already getting primary challengers and that's not going to be good for them. All I know is that America is starting to feel some pride again in being American. And I think that this is something that's going across the country and mainstream media tried to tell us we're going to be embarrassed of this guy. Guess what? (laughs) It's the media that's embarrassing. The media is what is embarrassing. The Democrats is what is embarrassing. Hillary is what is embarrassing. Oh, I liked her nasty woman t-shirt. I (laughs) thought she looked really cool. Okay, she's kidding. She's kidding. (laughs) Smile on her face. I am kidding. (laughs) But on a serious note, I do feel like, you know, this last election cycle, the American voters, they rejected the Democrat candidate. They rejected the Republican establishment. Yeah. They had a lot of establishment choices. On all of them, they said, no thanks. They really, Trump didn't have that hard a time winning the primaries mm-hmm. and winning the nomination. And yet here we sit in the, you know, six months into his first term. I think a lot of Republicans are still trying to deal with the reality that this guy is the president. And they're trying to think of how much do we support him? Because I think in the eyes of a lot of Republicans, they look around in Washington and think, well, I'm not really, I'm, I'm kind of more a statesman. I'm a, I'm not a you know, down and dirty Trump guy. I'm, I'm above that. But the truth is, I think the Republicans are hurting themselves. Okay, we got to go after a break here. But when we come back from this break, I want to tell you, we have a great guest joining us, Fred Flights, who is with the, um, he's a senior vice president for Center for Security Policy. Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether in Forming the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. 
So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Love, love, love talking to you every week, Sunday night, 6 to 8 p.m. on America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgettis. My Bright View Roundtable, Jenny McGarry and Dorinda Randall. And we have online tonight Fred Flights. And first of all, I believe we have online Fred Flights. Hello, sir. Hey, Debbie. How are you? Great, sir. I want to give a moment to tell our listeners who you are because I, this is such an important topic we're talking about. And I want to make sure that they know a bit about your background. So Fred Flights is a senior vice president for policy and programs at the Center for Security Policy. He's been on the show before. But in his past, he served a cumulative 25 years in the U.S. national security positions at the CIA, the DIA, Department of State, and House Intelligence. And during the George W. Bush administration, Fred Fleiss was chief of staff to John Bolton, who was then undersecretary of state for arms control and international security. And I could go on and on, but I want to be sure to give that substantive introduction because I want to talk about a really serious issue, which is this. So I saw a headline. I was trying to relax on vacation, but I saw a headline um, that said uh, Trump administration certifies Iranian deal. Now, I've now read what you wrote and several others wrote, but I, would, I wanted to start with what, what is that headline talking about? What is this all about? Well, Debbie, uh, it's, it's a sort of a disturbing story under the law that the uh, White House has to certify every 90 days that Iran is in compliance with the 2015 nuclear deal, and that this agreement is in the interest of the United States. 
Now, I've done extensive writing, and so has John Bolton, Senator Cotton, and Rubio and Cruz really recently sent a letter to the president, and we've all concluded that it isn't even close. Iran is in serious violation of this agreement, and even if Iran complied, it can continue to pursue nuclear weapons and be in compliance. It's a terrible agreement. So the question is, why did the president certify compliance? Well, there was a big fight last Monday in the White House. The president didn't plan on complying. But he had a big fight with Secretary Tillerson, Secretary Mattis, and National Security Advisor uh, McMaster, who were afraid to withdraw from this deal because the world won't like it. It's an international accord. You know, uh, you know basically, the foreign policy establishment wants us to stay in. And regrettably, these three Trump foreign policy advisors, that's what they were advising. The president was not happy with them, and there are uh, moves afoot right now, I think, to finally get us out of this terrible agreement. So if the Trump administration had decided last week to not certify that Iran was complying with the Iranian deal, would that have immediately triggered something detrimental under the agreement? What would be the consequence of making of not certifying? Well, I mean, the, the, if you listen to the left, the sky would fall. Iran will, Iran's behavior will get bad. It start, it will start pursuing nuclear weapons. Iran's behavior is already bad. It, it, it got worse after this agreement was announced. It sent troops into Syria. Missiles were fired at, at our ships and, and allied ships in the Persian Gulf and in the Red Sea. And Iran is already enriching uranium. It will have a heavy water reactor. Um, what will happen is the world will be mad at us, but it will set up a situation where we can put on global sanctions, banning the transfers of nuclear missile technology to Iran, and we can start a new alliance against Iran that includes our allies. Did you know that this nuclear deal with Iran was excluded, was, was negotiated, and we kept Israel and Saudi Arabia and the Gulf States in the dark? They had no input whatsoever, even though Iran is a much bigger threat to them. Let's have a new arrangement that includes everyone, including the states most affected by the threat from Iran. Okay, so to start with, you you mentioned actually there were two things that you that the America certifies under this, and and the, this is the the Iranian deal we're talking about, 2015 that we talked about at great length during that time with Frank Gaffney on the show and numerous other people talking about what a bad deal it was. But the certification required that both saying that certifying that, that as far as we know, Iran's complying, and the second is that this deal is in America's best interest. I mean, the deal wasn't in America's best interest to start with. I mean, don't you think that's true? That's right. It wasn't in our best interest. And uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has said many times, by enriching uranium, Iran is moving closer to a weapon. It was the long-held position of the U.S. government until Barack Obama came along that we can't let Iran enrich uranium because it's cheating all, all its nuclear obligations. It's a very bad deal with a very weak enforcement. Iran can actually develop advanced uranium centrifuges while this deal is in effect, which means it will be able to enrich a lot of uranium and make a lot of nuclear weapons fuel when this deal is over. It's simply staggering the, the country ever entered it. You also made reference to the letter that was sent to the Secretary Tillerson by um, Senators Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, David Perdue, Marco Rubio, and they referenced four ways in which Iran was not complying. I mean, they're all impossibly alarming, but one of them was that Iran is actually refusing to allow the inspectors access to nuclear research and military facilities. I mean, that's staggering. It's like they're laughing in our face. They make a deal, and then we can't even get the limited um, inspections that we're supposed to be able to get. 
It's the most serious violation. You might remember before the deal was agreed to, Obama officials said there would be any place, any time inspections. Ben Rhodes said that, and other Obama officials said that. The Iranians said no, and after the agreement was announced, they said we're not letting, we're not, we will not permit access to military facilities. Now, there's a process to sanction Iran if it doesn't allow access, but if that process goes through, Iran said hey, it will withdraw from the agreement, so the inspectors won't even ask to go to these facilities. So Iran is threatening us from uh, with withdrawing from the agreement. That's what you're saying? Because the Iranians, for, for, for the Obama administration, the Iranians knew that we wanted this agreement more than they did because it was a big win for Barack Obama's legacy. Uh, simply unbelievable. The other aspect I want to mention, uh, have you talk about, and if you're just tuning in, I'm sorry for you, but we are speaking <laughs> with Fred Flights, who is the Senior Vice President for Policy and Programs at Center for Security Policy, fabulous 25 years substantive uh, career in various national security positions. So, Going back to the Iranian deal that we're talking about right now, um, if we had a, um, I mean, it wasn't part of the problem in getting the advice that Trump went with, that he has people lower tiers within some of the federal and national security agencies that are really just Obama holdovers and are kind of in support of the agreement to start with? That's a big part of the problem. And when we say holdovers, I don't mean political appointees who stayed on, although I think some of them did stay on and burrowed in to become careerists. I'm talking about careerists who the Obama administration choose who supported Obama policies that they placed in very high positions throughout government. And it's very hard to remove career officers. And that's a way the Obama administration tried to permanently emplace their policies. Mr. Trump needs to fill the government with people who support his policies, and these people need to be moved. I don't know if they can be fired, but they can be re- reassigned to places where they can't do so much damage. Like some remote island somewhere. <laughs> they could be an inspector of something. <laughs> there you go. That'd be fair. Or the okay. mailroom. <laughs> or the mailroom. The mailroom's yeah. always good. <laughs> also, wanna, I want to ask you, Fred, too, but the, I'm, I'm so glad we're talking with you tonight and getting clarity on this. That headline really grabbed me as I was trying to relax on vacation. Really grab me, but so if you were running the show, if you could give Trump, President Trump, the advice what to do. So we, this is every ninety days, so it comes up again in October or so. What would you advise he do to deal with where we are today in the Iranian deal? Well, the president had it right last year when he said this is the worst deal ever negotiated. There is a a process to review our Iran policy. It was supposed to take six months. Now I, I hear it's going to take into the fall. This deal should have been torn up or, or suspended in January. I think the president has to immediately say, this is a bad deal. I've talked to the experts. This is clear. It's time to start talking to our friends and allies about a better approach. And, and the better approach has to include Iran's missile program, which isn't even in the deal. It's sponsorship of terrorism. It's meddling in the Middle East. It's meddling in Syria. There's so many things we have to, to touch on other than uh, this nuclear issue. It is truly staggering. I actually hope right when President Trump came, one option he had right when he became president was to say this Iranian deal is actually a treaty, but it never was put through the Senate. So I'm going to put it to the United States Senate. And if I can't get two thirds of a vote, we were never obligated to it to start with. But I guess the day has passed when he can try that. But I, I just think it was it was extremely harmful to America's place in the world that we allowed the president to usurp the role of the Senate in, in verifying treaties. And, and I want to add something that most Americans don't know. The Iranian parliament voted on it. <laughs> the Iranian parliament was allowed to ratify it, but the U.S. Senate was not. And 
when I hear these arguments where we can't back out of this because the Europeans will be angry at us, the Europeans knew they were participating in an effort to bypass the U.S. Senate. They were participating in a fraud. I have no sympathy for them. Uh, uh, Mr. Trump's diplomat should say to the French and British and Germans, you knew you were working on a plan with the Obama administration to go around our Constitution. So don't complain to us that we're trying to do the right thing now. Yes, I love that point. And no, I did not know the Iranian parliament. I mean, that's like such a, I mean, it's 180 degrees the opposite of the way it should be. Okay, so we're speaking with Fred Fletcher, about out of time. I do want to let listeners know how they can reach you and read some of the things that you've written. So your the website is? Securefreedom.org to read my material and a lot of other good stuff by the Center for Security Policy. I, I will tell folks, if you ever go to that website, I encourage you both to go to the website, securefreedom.org. Right. And get the newsletter. It's the most amazingly fact filled newsletter. It'll ruin your day every morning. Okay. Fred Fleiss, thank you. Thank you so much for calling. Great talking with you. Great to be here. Thanks, Debbie. Okay. We're zipping off to a break and we'll talk to you at the other side. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. 
Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, we actually have a guest who's joined us tonight. She, uh, Melissa Mullen is actually interning. She's a statement. Uh, she is a, a student at DBU, Dallas Baptist, and she's also interning at Kirby Anderson's Point of View radio show. And I was with her this week. I forget what day it was. And, and so anyway, we had a great time there, and so I invited her to come out here tonight. And um, so we're all having fun talking on the break. Anyway, it's nice to have her here. Mm-hmm. She said thank you. Yeah, she doesn't have a microphone, so we're you just come talking. over here. Yeah, yeah no, everybody <laughs> can see you. Yeah, but we're happy. She's to young. Come over here. She's young. She's yeah, young she's young, pretty. conservative. Okay. There she so, is. See, see, My see. My sons are okay. single. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My son's too young. He's only 15. Actually, my son's a signal. Ignore her. My son's a signal. Okay. All right. So, but we have a roundtable here. And I want to talk about actually a serious, much as we're bantering, a serious story. As you know, um, I I told my listeners, I talk to you all the time. My husband and I were very blessed to be able to go to Israel this year again uh, in February. He, my husband, goes often because he has a business partner there and they do these deals. But I went for the second time in February, and among the amazingly wonderful people that we connect with in Israel are my husband's business partner and um, his adult, three adult children, and they're all politically active and business-wise active, and... um, so to, and so uh, and the wife of and then, and actually one of my husband's partner's son has been on this show from Israel um and his wife has too and the wife is named Hamutal and so today on Facebook I noticed that there was a video and it's funny cuz I'm friends with these people in Israel on Facebook and they post things it's all in Hebrew and I, I I'm fully aware that you can hit a translate button and it actually some of the translations are kind of comical because they're not exactly right but anyway <laughs> I so, love those I know I do. <laughs> But so Hamatal called my attention to a video relating to an incident that happened in the West Bank. And the reason I want to talk about it is we have so many Americans who try to make a moral equivalency between the situation of the Israelis and the Jewish state and the Palestinians um, who are in various parts of really all land that is historically the Jewish state. But anyway, there are areas of Israel that the um, that we have that they the liberals would call it or the lefties would call it the West Bank, which is actually the east of Israel, but it's along the Jordan River West Bank. But the Christians call it where and the Jews call it Judea and Samaria. So anyway, 
Hamutal was calling attention on Facebook today to a story that I want to talk about. Then I want to get around to what happened at the Temple Mount this past week and just how crazy some leftists can be. But I digress. So back over to in Israel, there was a Palestinian terrorist who broke into the home of three Israelis who were celebrated, broke into home Israelis um, in one of the West Bank settlements. Um, and the uh, it was on Shabbat, as you all likely know, in the Jewish faith, they celebrate their holy day, their Sabbath is Saturday. And so they, as a sundown Friday, so sundown Saturday, that is their Shabbat. So Shabbat was starting and they were actually celebrating, especially because in this family, there was a new grandchild. And so uh, the family was together and this Palestinian terrorist broke in to this home and stabbed three Israelis to death in their home on the eve of Shabbat. And so, and one of the victims was a 70 year old woman. One was a, a young boy. So I tell you all this to say that the Israelis put up with endless, random, evil hatred. I mean, I understand evil happens everywhere. I understand murder happens. But living in Israel, it's a relentless need to be extremely protective, to be extremely guarded, to protect your family from this seething rage, unjustified by anything rational, seething rage on behalf of many Palestinians. So in this case, a couple of things that is good about the Israelis. One was that um, a neighbor realized what was occurring in this Jewish settlement in the West Bank, uh, and this Palestinian terrorist had broken in. Uh, A neighbor saw what was occurring in the house and actually shot a gun through the window. And um, what was the word the guy used in the tape? He didn't say eliminated uh, neutralize the threat. I think that was his word. <laughs> it was in English, this threat, this tape was. Um, but the other thing the Israelis did, and I know you can't do these things here, but I kind of like it. In addition to the fact that they, they, he, they did this, they went ahead and raised, R-A-Z-E-D, as in flattened, the house belonging to this terrorist. And I kind of like that. It's, it, it's, a, it's a message like, you know what? You just can't do that here. You just can't do that. So that story happened, and Hamutal called to my attention. And it really, you know, Hamutal and her husband and their, they just had another baby. Five girls, okay, oh, five girls, beautiful. Wedding. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, but they, you know, they live in this area where you just, they, they actually live in a beautiful, well-kept-up, lovely Jewish community, Jewish area um, within the West Bank, and has the name of the town, but I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, um, so but you just always have to live in threat of that kind of stuff. And so I was glad she called to my attention. But the bigger and kind of international news that occurred in Israel and relates to America has to do with the fact, if you weren't watching the news this past week, that in the area of the Temple Mount, which is among the most holy of places to the Jews in Israel, but which is protected by the Jews, but is given sole access to the Muslim community, which also considers the same area to be uh, holy to them. Last week, they had three Arab Israelis, let me interrupt myself, get the point. These are non-Jewish. These are Arab people who Israel treats as citizens. They are citizens with full rights of citizenship like everybody else has, unlike the Arab countries would ever give to Jewish people. But Israel gives these Arab, some Arabs who live in the country of Israel, they are citizens. Um, They went into the Temple Mount, and inside the Temple Mount they smuggled guns in, and they killed two police officers two Israeli police officers. So this happened at the Temple Mount, and I'm telling you this for a very political reason relating to how 
crazy it is to try to negotiate with people who don't have an element of rationality in their thought. So this occurred, these, these um, three assailants, these three um, Arab Israelis were all then killed by other police officers. So now these, this is the Temple Mount, the allegedly holy area. They have smuggled guns in. It's like shooting up a mosque, a synagogue, a church, a cathedral. That's what it's like. So anyway, they did that. These three assailants, young people, they were, uh, one was 29, the other two were both 19. And, um, and so they, they, they were killed. And so what has occurred is that the Israelis, number one, shut down the mosque on the most holy day of prayer, which is a Friday, to search for other weapons, to make sure nothing else was there. And then when they reopened it, they installed metal detectors at all entrances to the Temple Mount, which is just so rational. You would think, I mean, you would honestly start to think maybe some of the Muslims who want to go into the Temple Mount would say, wow, that's good, I won't be shot. But instead, they are outraged that there are metal detectors preventing another incident like this, <laughs> someone smuggling guns in. So to top it all off, and then we can go to you guys and comment, but so the uh, Palestinian Authority President, Mahmoud Abbas, we've talked about him before, okay, wrote his thesis, his doctoral thesis, on the, on claiming that basically the Holocaust didn't happen. So he's just a nut. But anyway, he has actually reached out to Jared Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law, to ask Trump to force Israel to remove the metal detectors. Okay, this is like (laughs) these Muslim Arab shooters, Palestinians, killed innocent police officers who were there at the Temple Mount to keep everybody safe, kills them, metal detectors put in place to say, you can't do this again, and this... Palestinian Authority is it, what he's basically saying is, look, you can't have metal detectors. How are they going to get guns in there if you won't? <laughs> I mean, the the craziness of trying to even reason with someone like that is simply mind blowing. And this is what the Israelis put up with day after day. I couldn't imagine living in fear every day like that, and it, it, it's just alarming that anybody would justify any of that. And in and to be in your rational head to think, you know what? This is a hill that I'm going to stand on to say that we should not have uh, metal metal detectors. And I love the Israelis because of the fact that they they don't play. You do something like this and they correct it. They don't go through a whole bunch of rigmarole of debating the issue. What should we do? What should we do? No, their job is to protect the people. They're going to put the metal detectors in and they handled it. And that's all you want from your government. Exactly. And and all I can say is that I think about this and I think about the untouchables and Chicago <laughs> rules. I, I really do. I mean, they're living in a war zone. Yes. They're living in a war zone that doesn't end. How, right. how do they plan a future? How can how can they ensure that their kids are going to grow up safely? They're going to have to be tough. I mean, everybody has heard about the Mossad. I mean, the reason part of the reason why the new Wonder Woman is a excuse the terminology bad ass is because <gasps> she said that on air. She said that on air. I did. I've never heard that word because look at her. I mean, she she's she's been trained there. She is because you're going to have to rule through strength in order to win. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a long war. It's a long war. And, you know, this is amazing. I hope that Donald Trump, I really hope, because he ran on being kind of tougher and with our foreign policy for standing up for Israel. He ran on, on really reasserting America's place as a leader, as a force for good, as a moral force in the world. And I think Trump, I would love to hear him say in a speech or somebody, maybe Tillerson, whoever, say, as a matter of fact, we congratulate and we commend the Israeli government for putting metal detectors in. What else? It's kind of like I mean, what Mahmoud Abbas is saying and anyone else who's opposed to these metal detectors outside of the as you enter the Temple Mount. It's kind of like we're talking about in the car on the way here. It's kind of like people who'd say we don't we we oppose voter ID. It's like what they're saying is we like cheating and voting. You can't have voter ID. People <laughs> exactly, might catch right? us cheating. And they, they make us some silly excuse about, oh, it's really just it's it's designed to pick up. Um, minorities is designed to be discriminatory. It's and not. Then you, yeah. Then you ask them, how does it do that? And <laughs> yes, they cannot us. answer. You there is no answer. Than, yeah, yeah. Other than calling you a racist, which I yeah. love. Well, it, back to the Israelis for a second. Yeah. You know, Eric and I are just so deeply respectful and grateful uh, for yeah. our connections in Israel, for the country of Israel. And I'm really hoping to see emerge out of this White House a strengthened relationship with Israel, a, a recommitment to standing with Israel. Because Israel, I mean, we learned so much in our trip over there, in this most recent trip and previous trips, really about how much Israel does to bend over backwards to try to accommodate the demands of the Arabs surrounding them. They're, they're, they're kind of an island. The country of Israel is not an island like in land mass, but I mean an island in terms of surrounded by enemies, enemies, by states that simply would take Israel out if they could. And, and Israel is about the size of New Jersey, right? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that was hard for me to grasp whenever I sat down and I remember I was much younger, not much younger because I am young, but the, she's 32, <laughs> 32. And the thing is, is that I remember looking at the size of Israel going, Oh my goodness, these people are out to get this little tiny one. They really are. And you'll got to zip off to a break here, but I do want to say we come back. One of the themes we'll pick up in the next segment about Israel and about the movie Dunkirk is the only thing evil people understand is pure sheer force We'll be right back. 